All right, just to clarify, uh, the video that you saw, those aren't like new partners, some of those there at the end. I'm, wow. My name is Dave Sherwood. I'm the lead pastor here at Cornerstone. Welcome you to today's service. We're in a series called Villains of Christmas. And so what's that all about? Well, we're going to be talking about some people that have some obstacles to engaging what's the true meaning, the reason for the season. And so we're going to have an opportunity to kind of look at some movies and some kind of classic villains of Christmas and reflect on our own obstacles to the season. With all that in mind, what I want to do is I want to kind of throw out two questions for you to think about in the background this morning. Uh, Question number one is, why did Jesus come? Why did, you know, we've got this whole Christmas season, manger scenes, nightmarish Hallmark movies to watch over and over and over again. Why did Jesus come, if not to deliver us from such things? Um... But I want you to be thinking about why did Jesus come? Because when you're not necessarily raised in church, I wasn't raised in church, you know, he's he's a cool moral teacher, I guess, and um, he inspires us to give stuff to other people. Is there more to it than that? The second thing that I want you to think about is we celebrate Christmas, but notice what happens is that we get extraordinarily distracted by 10,000 things. There's blinking lights, there's stuff to buy, there's parties to go to and everything else. But coming up on that day will actually be his birthday. What will we get him for his birthday? Now, I don't know about you, they may have sold out of frankincense and myrrh at the local stores. And so you're going to have to give him something else. And the, the question becomes, what does he desire? What would bring a smile to his face? What would affect his emotions? We've all gotten all kinds of gifts through the years, some of which dramatically affected us, and some that really didn't. So let me pray, and then we'll jump into some scripture, and then we're going to have a video clip, and we'll cruise on through this morning. Father God, we come to you, and we come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus. And we ask, Father, that your word and your spirit would remind our hearts and our minds why you sent your Son, what your Son came to accomplish. We also pray, Father, that your word and your spirit would show us what to give Jesus for his birthday. You know, Father, we're going to be distracted by a lot of other stuff, and yet, nonetheless, that's what this whole thing is all about, is celebrating who he is and his birthday. So could you help us to pump the brakes on a lot of things and to remember that that's the most important thing to consider? And we pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Okay, so in Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19, it says this. It says... Forget about what happened. Don't keep going over the old history. Be alert. Be present. I'm about to do something brand new, God is saying. It's bursting out there. Don't you see it? There it is. I'm making a road through the desert. Now, I want you to take a second and notice a lot of components here. One is, this is back in the Old Testament, and so when it's talking about a desert, it's hearkening back to that big story that a lot of people know of the people coming out of Egypt and wandering around in the desert. Now, when you're wandering around in the desert, the desert isn't necessarily fun, and there is no road. You don't exactly know why you're 
there. So notice this verse again, kind of with that all in mind. One is, forget about what happened. So over and over again, God's people are overly focused either on the future, the promised land, where are we going to get to, or the past, my stories of difficulty and hardship. And this prophet or this angel or shows up and says, hey, stop with the yesterday, stop with the tomorrow. I want you to be alert and to be present right now. Why? Because God's doing things right now. And we have a tendency to be focused on the past or on the future and not engaged in the present moment. And because of that, we miss the roads that God has for us. We miss the moments that God has for us right now. It says, I'm about to do something new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I'm making a road through the desert. Now, one thing I want you to notice is it's not about not being in the desert. The desert's still there. Our sucky circumstances are sometimes still there. The issue is being excited about this new thing that God's doing because he's showing you the way out of the desert. And you might wonder, what in the world is this going to have to do with, with Christmas? Well, I want you to think about this season and the difficulties in it. There's a lot of celebrating, right? I mean, we're going to parties and we're buying presents and we got a big happy holidays and Merry Christmas and I've got a big smile and my bank account is being liquidated and I've been socialized to death and I've got to meet with family people that I really don't want to see ever again my whole life, but I've got to act like it's great to see them again, right? How does God lead us through desert places. And how does he get us to be alert and awake right here, right now? I want you to hearken back to that question that I asked at the beginning. Why did Jesus come? It wasn't just to inspire gift-giving and great moral teaching. God looks down from heaven and he sees us for what we are. And we have run amok. We're sideways with our true selves. We're sideways with him. We're sideways with each other. We may or may not talk about it, but we can feel the tension, the anxiety, the anger, the woundedness. Jesus comes to do this thing called reconciliation. In the Hebrew word, it literally means to remove the tension. I want you to imagine that. Imagine if you aren't a believer, you might imagine this already. Okay, you imagine feeling, I, you know, I'm not square with God, and I know I'm sideways with God, and you know, I probably disappointed God, and I've probably hurt God's feelings. Maybe God's angry at me. And, and what, what, what would happen if you found out one day you were square with God? Like God wanted to wrap his arms around you, and you were just square. You were loved. That's what Jesus came to accomplish. That's what he does accomplish on the cross squaring us, removing all the tension between us and God. Now, here's where things get interesting. Then that's supposed to turn out into the world through us. And we're supposed to remove the tension that we have with all these other people. We're supposed to be just like Jesus who forgives and tells us to forgive seven times 70. And he's even on the cross and he says, Father, hold this not to their account. Even though they're crucifying me, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
So again, if you're thinking about Jesus and his birthday, if he came to reconcile, not just you with him, but to reconcile the whole world to him and to each other, between now and Christmas, what can you do to reconcile with your spouse, to reconcile with your children, to reconcile with a neighbor or a boss? I don't mean make it perfect. I mean try, step out in faith. You're going to watch a movie clip here in just a second. It's going to be from Home Alone. And I know that you're, you're hoping to see the wet bandits get clocked with a paint bucket or something. That's not, that's not going to happen. There's, there's some potential villains in Home Alone. So there's the wet bandits that, you know, are trying to get Kevin. Um, there's also sort of Kevin himself. He's kind of a villain because he's shot off his mouth and he's sideways with his whole family. And then there's this old guy that he sees who he's scared of. It's a neighbor. It's a potential villain. And the clip you're about to see brings up a bunch of interesting questions. It happens in a church. It happens at Christmas time. At the very point in time where we're learning the story of God sending his son to reconcile the world to himself. And Kevin and this older gentleman have a conversation about all the reconciliation they need to do out in the real world with their families. As you watch this clip, I want you to be thinking about who, or maybe who, plural, God wants you to reconcile with as the gift you give him as his birthday comes up the end of the month. So watch this with that in view.
That's my granddaughter up there. The little red-haired girl. She's about your age. You know her? No. You live next to me, don't you? Yeah. You can say hello when you see me. You don't have to be afraid. There's a lot of things going around about me, but none of it's true. Okay? Been a good boy this year? I think so. You swear to it? No. Yeah, I had a feeling. Well, this is the place to be if you're feeling bad about yourself. It is? I think so. Are you feeling bad about yourself? No. I'm in kind of a pain lately. I said some things I shouldn't have. I really haven't been too good this year. Yeah. I'm kind of upset about it because I really like my family. Even though sometimes I say I don't. Sometimes I even think I don't. Do you get that? I think so. How you feel about your family is a complicated thing. Especially with an older brother. Deep down, you always love them. But you can forget that you love them. And you can hurt them, and they can hurt you. And that's not just because you're young. You want to know the real reason why I'm here right now? Sure. I came to hear my granddaughter sing. And I can't come and hear her tonight. You have plans? No. I'm not welcome. At church? Oh, you're always welcome at church. I'm not welcome with my son. Years back, before you and your family moved on the block, I had an argument with my son. How old is he? Well, he's grown up. We lost our tempers. And I said I didn't care to see him anymore. He said the same. And we haven't spoken to each other since. If you miss him, why don't you call him? I'm afraid if I call him, he won't talk to me. How do you know? I don't know. I'm just afraid he won't. No offense, but aren't you a little old to be afraid? You can be a little old for a lot of things. You're never too old to be afraid. That's true. I've always been afraid of our basement. It's dark, there's weird stuff down there, and it smells funny, that sort of thing. It's bothered me for years. The basements are like that. Then I made myself go down there to do some laundry, and I found out it's not so bad. All this time I've been worrying about it, but if you turn on the lights, it's no big deal. What's your point? My point is you should call your son. What if he won't talk to me? At least you'll know. Then you can stop worrying about it, and he won't have to be afraid anymore. I don't care how mad I was, I talked to my dad. Especially around the holidays. I don't know. Just give it a shot. For your granddaughter, anyway. I'm sure she misses you. And the presents. I sent her a check. Wish my grandparents said that. They always send me clothes. Last year, I got a sweater with a big bird knitted on it. Oh, that's nice. Not for a guy in the second grade. You can get beat up for wearing something like that. Oh? Yeah. I have a friend who got nailed because there was a rumor he wore dinosaur pajamas. You better run along home where you belong. You think about what I said, all right? Okay. It's nice talking to you. Nice talking to you. What about you? 
Me? Yeah, you and your son. We'll see what happens. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. So Kevin says, what about you and your, what about you and your son? So you've got this open question at, at Christmas time. So part one of the question is, what does it mean to reconcile with God? If you've run away from God, if you've never let God into your life, whatever it is, you know, what does it mean to reconcile with him? Because that's what Jesus came to do. He came to engage people, to reconcile. But then there's that second question. If you've received that reconciliation, what does it mean to extend it out into the world, to your family? What if they don't deserve it? Well, yeah, did we deserve it? Well, you don't know what they're like. I, I, I Believe me, I don't. And it may not reconcile perfect from both ends, but what would it do to Jesus for you to enter into his way of doing things, the purpose which he came. The older gentleman says this, how you feel about your family is a complicated thing. Deep down, you'll always love them, but you can forget that you love them and you can hurt them and they can hurt you and that's not just because you're young. God looks down at his family of creation and we've hurt him, but he sends his son Is it worth a shot? Could you see the angels maybe saying to the Father, you're going to do what? Why, why don't you show up in a giant, you know, inferno? Or why don't you, you know, do something to scare the hoobie-hoobie out of them? You, no, I'm going, to, I'm going to send my son in a manger. Humble. What does it mean for us to extend that out? What does it mean for us to be meek and long-suffering and compassionate to other people. In Luke 1.17, it says this, speaking about John the Baptist, who's the forerunner of Jesus, it says this, it is he who will go as a forerunner before him, speaking of Jesus, in the spirit and the power of Elijah. What's John the Baptist's purpose? It's to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous. So it's to make ready a people prepared for the Lord, for Jesus to come. And so, John the Baptist has this ministry of turning people's hearts back to where they should be. What's our heart towards some family members? What's our heart towards some friends? What's our heart towards all kinds of people? We've received this incredible reconciliation from God, but are we extending it out? And when we are extending it out, that's the greatest Christmas present you could possibly give Jesus. And where we're withholding it is maybe where Jesus is saying, there's a great present right there that represents who I am to the world. Open your hands up and let it loose. Let forgiveness loose. Let reconciliation loose. Give it a shot. Get your heart back where it's supposed to be, even if the other person's heart isn't. First Timothy 2, 5 through 7, it says this, 
Why did Jesus come? It says this. It says, he wants not only us, but everyone saved, rescued. You know, everyone to get to know the truth that we've learned, that there's one God and only one, and one priest mediator between God and us, Jesus, who offered himself in exchange for everyone held captive by sin to set them all free. That's why Jesus came, to do this incredible liberation of people. What is that? liberation look like? What, what, what does it look like in your life? What does it look like in my life? How much has changed because of Jesus coming in and liberating us? He goes on and he says this. He says, eventually the news is going to get out. This and this only has been my appointed work. Getting this news to those who have never heard of God and explaining how it works by simple faith and plain truth. That Jesus came to offer his life as a sacrifice, as a exchange. For what? For everything that we've done sideways with God. For everything that we've done sideways with ourselves and other people. Jesus came to face the consequences of all of that for us and to liberate us. And then the, the, the question becomes, what does that feel like? What does that look like in the real world? Well, let me give you a stupid example or two. Has anybody ever gotten a, a terrible Christmas gift? Anybody? Okay. Has anybody here ever gotten fruitcake? Now, I'm a pastor, so I've got to be careful. You may have a lovely fruitcake that I will deeply appreciate if it shows up on my desk, but I'm talking about the other people's recipes for crappy fruitcake. We clear? <laughs> So I want you to imagine that you are opening all the gifts and you end up with a fruitcake and you end up with a couple other things, wrong size. You've got to go make some returns. And so you're heading down to make all of your returns. And just in the back of your mind, you're like, you know, what's the deal with the fruitcake? Well, you, there's no price on it or anything, but you, you see a little thing on there that says Ollie's and you're like, oh, maybe I'll, you know, maybe I'll get five bucks for it and go to McDonald's. So you, you go, you make all your exchanges for your other stuff, get the right sizes. And then you're about to, you know, head out of the area, but you see the alleys, and you're like, oh, I need... I'm going to go in and see what I can get for the fruitcake. The terrible, nasty, disgusting, unedible fruitcake. And so you go in, and you take the fruitcake, all 80 pounds of it, and you put it on the counter, and you tell the person that's working in the cash register, I've got this terrible thing, I'd like to exchange it, uh, you know, what do I get for it? And they do the little thing, they you know, look up the barcode, and, and they step back from the register for a second, and they are looking at the register kind of weird. And you're going, in your mind, you're going, oh, crap, it was like shoplifted by somebody, and I'm going to get busted, barcode of the stolen fruitcake, and who's stupid enough to shoplift fruitcake anyways? They call up a manager, and the manager comes up, and the two of them are looking at the screen. And you're like, I'm sorry, is there... Is there a problem? And they, they just both have a confused look, but then they, they say there's not a problem, and they turn the screen to face you, and, and you get a million dollars for your crappy fruitcake. Now, would you be stunned? Yeah. That's not right. How could that possibly be that all of my sin and all of my rebellion and all of the stuff that I've done, how is it that I come to God and he exchanges that with eternal life and peace 
and reconciliation and hope and a meaning and identity and his love and compassion and giving me this church family and his word and the Holy Spirit for all of everlasting eternity. That's not right. Of course it's not right. We're stunned by its not rightness. How does it affect us? And how does it affect all those around us? Because if we've been forgiven like that, if we've been reconciled like that, when we turn to face the people that have fruitcaked our life up a little bit, how are we going to extend love and grace and hope and compassion to them? Does that make sense? And that's what Paul is saying is shocking. Let me give you another story. The church in Ohio that I was at, what we did is we came up with this thing one year called Free Bay. And what Free Bay was was basically we told people there's people in the area that, you know, just financially it's just tough. They probably can't pull off Christmas unless somebody, somebody helps. And so we had a gymnasium like this. We told everybody to be thinking and praying about what to buy for Free Bay because we're going to give it away to people that need it. And so... People would go to the mall and they'd be literally walking around the mall going, Jesus, what, what should I buy for this person? I don't even know who they are or anything else. And so a bunch of things were purchased and one of them was a Build-A-Bear. One of the things that was purchased was a Christmas tree, a fake Christmas tree. And this woman came to Free Bay. And she went around to tables and she got a bunch of stuff and she'd just been kind of praying and thinking in her mind because her kids had asked for two specific things. She didn't see them anywhere. She probably wasted her time praying. But before she left, she decided to ask somebody. She's like, I know this will sound crazy. But all I wanted for my kids, I, I wanted a Christmas tree and I wanted to build a bear. And one of the guys in the church, Glenn, who had bought a build a bear at the mall, got to take her to this little back area where we had some things and say, There's your Christmas tree, and there's your build a bear. And she does what seems reasonable to me she breaks down crying. She's a single mom, and she's got two kids, and she mumbles out something pretty close to this. I'd already given up on myself. And I'd pretty much given up on God because I was convinced he'd given up on me. And now I'm not so sure. Maybe God hasn't given up on me. What does it look like for you to be a part of a moment like that in somebody's life? And you may go, well, I, I, you know, I don't, what, what does that mean, Dave? Do I, do I go to the store and buy a Build-A-Bear? Do I, no, it doesn't mean that. It means that you're looking for as many moments as possible to reconnect people with God. And sometimes the way that starts is by you reconnecting with people you're sideways with so that reconciliation is legit in you extending itself out into the world. It says this in 2 Corinthians 5.18. 
It says, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? It means that not only were you reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, but that because of that, after that, the after effect of that, is you're given this ministry to extend it, to show it, to be the example of it out into the world. You become the extension of Jesus' compassion, his love, his forgiveness, his seven times 70. Everything about who he is, we become the extension of into the world. And how does that affect the world? Well, that's the trick question, isn't it? How does it affect Jesus? That's the trick question, too. Trust me, the people that first invested in me before I was a Christian or when I was just a baby Christian, they had no idea what's coming. They took risks. I was an obnoxious, even more than now, I was an obnoxious, sarcastic, negative, cynical, eat you alive with my words kind of person. But they saw something else. Do you see something else in other people? Could they have ever imagined all the people that I would preach to? Could they ever imagine all the moments where my marriage would go the way that God wanted it to go because of his word being in me. All the moments with my children, all the moments with my neighbors, how I spent my money. Here's my point. My point is, if they had seen everything that was going to happen because of these little risks that they took to invest in me, they would have absolutely gone, yeah, this is easy. I want to do this all the time. But we don't see that, do we? We're in the desert. We don't see the road. We don't know how it's going to land. But what if we take those sort of risks with people? And what if it changes their whole lives with them and God, with them and other people? God's given us this ministry of reconciliation. More than that, the verses go on. It says this, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, their sins, their rebellion against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now that sounds a little redundant. Didn't he just say that? Well, the trick in, 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 in language is that sometimes there's not an exact matchup. And so when it says, committed to us the word of reconciliation, it means a little bit more than that. It means, because it comes from a word theos, it means God. It means God has stuck something inside of you and ignited it for others. What? You know how like you, you go to the Christmas service where there's a candle and you know, it's lit and then it's lit for somebody else? The idea is basically this, that God's reconciliation reconciled you with him, but then also he took some of who he is at his core and he stuck it inside of you to light you up and be a light into the world. To draw people to him through us being a reflection of who he is. And this little sequence of verses concludes then in 2 Corinthians 5.20. It says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. What's the appeal to the world? We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now notice a couple of components here. One, this is an ambassador. Ambassadors are typically people that are going to be respected. This isn't an ambassador for some crappy third world country that nobody cares about. This is an ambassador for the most powerful 
thing you can imagine in the universe. It's God's ambassador. So you would think that God's ambassador gets to walk in with some swag and say, you need to do this because I'm the ambassador for that. But no, 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 notice the way this is, has, has a contradiction in it uh, that you're not expecting. You're this ambassador begging people. What do you mean? I mean begging people. Be reconciled to God. This is so important. You have no idea. It may seem like just a leap of faith to you, but the way you think, the way you feel, the way you act, all the people that you're going to affect, all the moments in time, you have no idea how massive this is going to be. I'm begging you, reconnect to God. And I'm showing you reconciliation through how I'm living my life. So when we think about Christmas, this is what I want you to think about. I want you to think about there's a day coming that's Jesus' birthday. What's the gift that you're going to give him between now and then? Maybe that gift is your reconciliation with friends or family that you're sideways with. Maybe the gift that you will give him is receiving the gift of his salvation. Maybe the gift that you're going to give him is proclamation, begging other people to find Jesus. What does that look like? Well, it looks different for everybody. What does it look like to beg other people to look at Jesus afresh and anew? For some people, it's art. For some people, it's how you handle your Facebook page. For some people, it's cooking up cookies and sticking one of these things in their front door. For some people, it's just showing them a a way of living life that's so dramatically different that they can't help but want to know, what's your secret? What's your story? And then there's the look on God's face, the look on Jesus' face. We see it just a few times in Scripture. We see him angry in the temple because of the injustice that's going on there. And we see him crying at Lazarus' grave because death is not what he wanted for this way this world works. We see some emotions in Jesus. But can you imagine him looking at you as he's opening this present of reconciliation, of you being a part of his ministry? Can you imagine his opening the present of how you live your life with other people and a big grin coming across his face because you didn't give him fruitcake. You gave him something that will matter forever. Let me pray. Father God, we ask, Father, that you would show us. For some of us, you need to show us to be reconciled to to you, Father through your son, through his death and resurrection on the cross. For some of us, Father, we need to accept that gift that's being offered to us. Father, for others in the room, we need you to show us how to reach out in reconciliation to some friends and some family that we're sideways with. And we're scared, God. We're scared like the old man in the movie. But we want to give it a shot because we know it's your way. Help us, Father. And finally, there's, there's a whole bunch of us here in this room, God, that you have deputized with the word 
of reconciliation, with the ministry of reconciliation. Would you send us out into the highways and the byways of Perry County and give us creative ways to invite people to you, to our services, to our Grinchy Christmas? God, help us to have the courage to do that. And help us to know that that will bring you joy. And we pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus the Christ. Help us, Father. Amen. Amen.